This is episode 201 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, How to Make IT and Work in General Better. So, this is it. The final episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, the advice and information show about work and making work better. We'll publish a little episode on New Year's Eve announcing the name of the new replacement show. But at 201 episodes, this is the last one in this format. And it's fitting that we finish with this one, with Nick Brown, a former IT guy and now psychologist and observer of human nature. Because in this episode, we talk about ways to run a better IT department, but also more generally about how to make work better and how recognizing that we are and are working with humans increases the humanity of our workplaces and of our interactions. This episode is really about, as Nick says, a new way of thinking. And that is the essence of what we've been trying to work toward in these last 200 episodes. So give a listen, and maybe these ideas will lead us to a new approach toward work and to each other, which is befitting as we are on the brink of a new year. I'm really delighted to welcome back Nick Brown to the podcast. You may recall he was on our show November 26th, I think it was, to talk about debunking psychological studies. And we were talking to Nick at that time for his expertise in social psychology, especially for his degree in positive psychology, which is supposed to be some of the more scientific of the psych studies. And in fact, he had been instrumental in debunking a couple of uh, happiness studies, one having to do with this ratio of positive emotions to negative emotions, this very precise ratio that raised some eyebrows. And in fact, it turned out to be uh, fairly questionable. And then the other one was about the happiness pie. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it. It was very entertaining and interesting. But Nick actually started life as an IT person, uh, running an IT department for a large company. And that is an interesting topic to me because... IT reported to me in three different companies, and it often is a source of frustration, not only for the users, because we struggle with technology and we just want to do our jobs, and and sometimes the computers don't help us, but also for the IT staff, right? And, And it can be frustrating for them, too. They really want to help the users, but um, things stand in their way. And so Nick mentioned that he had undertaken several initiatives when he was in charge that I thought would be interesting to discuss here. They seemed uh, fairly unusual to me, which was no surprise knowing Nick. And so we thought we would talk about those today. So Nick, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me back. It's always uh, 
It's always nice when they come, when they let you come when they let you come back. You probably didn't kind of you know upset anybody too much the first time. <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll see if we can upset some people today. Okay. So one of the things you'd mentioned was that uh, one of the initiatives you undertook was to abolish telephone support. Mm. And I was trying to remember. It seems to me that all of the departments that reported to me in, in each of these separate companies, I believe. The telephone support we provided probably was, you know, calling somebody on their cell phone, but I think everything else we did through a ticket system. So tell me what the difference is and what your experiences were with that. Well, this was, this was a while back. So, um, but we had a, we had a number that was very easy to call when you had any kind of IT problem. And uh, I, I should say the organization I worked for wasn't really a private company. It was, we, we call it a, an international organization. It wasn't the United Nations, but if you think of something like that, so uh, the context would be, it was, it was kind of not-for-profit, it was governmental, uh, the staff were mostly tenured, uh, there wasn't very much you could do in the way of kind of forcing them to do anything they didn't want to. Uh, and uh, after a while, it be- in organizations like that, it actually becomes a bit like managing volunteers. Yeah. You know, everyone's getting paid a nice salary, no one's ever going to get fired, so you kind of have to then find ways to encourage them to come to work and, and do the work, or in the case of the IT department, to kind of, you know, comply with your wishes to try and get things done. And uh, so we had a number that you could call, and when we brought personal computers in, in you know, in, well, in the mid-80s, we had a few people on a word processing system, but in the early 90s, uh, we brought in, you know, PCs with MS-DOS in those days and WordPerfect. Mm-hmm. The old hands will remember. And we had this number, and the number was 3333. You know, if you've got a problem, call 3333. And so uh, we kind of became a social service for people who were having trouble using their computer. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we just grew that kind of in-house. We never sat down and said, what's the best way to run a support function? And then people started getting Windows-type systems. And, and what we found was the calls, first of all, 15, 10, 15% of people were generating 70% of the calls, you know, partly because some of them had trouble using the computer and partly because some of them, I think, just wanted someone to talk to. Oh, interesting. Or, you know, they would, they'd, they'd be kind of living out their different work issues. <laughs> you know, their boss came and dumped another load of crap on them and, okay, that's got to be done on the computer. And so the computer would seem to be part of the problem. Uh-huh. And so uh, we, we were spending a lot of time not helping these people really. So, that, and particularly when then when you got uh, Windows type systems, you'd people phone up and say, "Okay, what's the problem?" They go, "Well, I click on this thing down here on the left, and then there's the little thing that looks like a whatever, and you, you're trying <laughs> to work out what they're doing." Yeah, uh, their first language might not be your first language, which is mm. in the international environment. And so after about 10 minutes, you might work out what the problem was or the first line support. And they say, well, I'll have to escalate you to a technician. And then you, you've got to, you know, the technician has to ask. You have to go through the same process again. Mm-hmm. And we found ourselves in a sort of inadvertent war with our users. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had the frequent flyers, uh, but we, the, the, the morale in the department was such, if you ask people what percentage of, of your users, of our users are crazy, they'd say 15, 20%. <laughs> Well, you know, if you say one or two percent, you're probably right. But if you think fifteen or twenty percent of your users are crazy, your procedures are not working. Yeah, you know, you you are actually the one with the problem, and so we made it um, pretty much impossible to phone up and ask a technical question. The, the you the, the the phone number said, okay, press one if your computer is does not start, and anything else, we sent them to this uh, system that we built. But we built our own ticketing system, and we built it to be completely transparent. Uh, so there were no privileged users. There weren't 
sort of users and then IT people. Everyone in this ticketing system was an equal, and everyone could see what everyone had added to the ticket. And you could take your ticket and mail the link to somebody, and they could add stuff to it. And uh, people could fill it in for all kinds of different requests. And in fact, it went beyond the IT department. So for example, if, if um, a strip light in your corridor was flickering, you know, when that happens, hmm. and you go, okay, well, I'll call the building services people. But you don't know when they're going to come. And the building services people, nobody ever buys them a ticketing system. Right. So it's always, okay, well, we called them two days ago. Am I being pushy if I phone them up? Will they put me to the back of the queue for being, you know, awkward? Or <laughs> And so uh, with the, this system we built eventually got built out to cover um, most, uh, almost everything in human resources that wasn't sensitive got put on this system. All of the building services got put on it. And uh, it just became, you fill in the form, you send it off, and you can go back at any time and check the progress. And people would add notes. So the head electrician would say, yeah, we need to fix this. And then someone would put a note on saying, hi, can we come along? Is it okay if we come along and you know put a, a ladder up in your corridor tomorrow afternoon at three? And they could you know check a box and you'd get a notification. And then you can go, yeah, that's fine. Or you could go, no, we're having a departmental meeting. Can you come back another day? And it took a lot of the, um, it took a lot of the stress out of interacting with not just the IT department, but all of the other kind of people that you only ever deal with when something is broken. Right. Uh, because most people, I don't know, most of your listeners, if they can remember the last time they called the IT department when something wasn't broken. Oh, right. Or just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> that never happens. And, and th th that never <laughs> happened. So the, the, yeah, th this was one of the things we wanted to do because in, in some organizations, I guess there can be, if you have a very competitive organization, uh, if you have a, a bunch of employees who you don't really trust and it's kind of, sometimes that's built into the business model. But if in general, if you can't do anything about your employee's relationship with you, well, you're going to have to get along because you're in that boat with them. Mm -hmm. And there's no point in being that IT department that's at war with people and that is sending out all staff emails twice a week saying, guys, don't click on those mail attachments. We're getting viruses. You know, there's no point. The, 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 in fact, the IT department is in general the biggest source of spam, of internal spam in the organization, because they can. And, and, and we developed a very clear culture of we weren't going to send all staff emails mm -hmm. and we got the management to sign up for this. And so in this entire organization, there were probably two all staff emails a year. And one of them was wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. Mm, nice. Uh, and what we did was we put everything important was on the intranet site, which and when you logged in in the morning, your web browser opened and your intranet page opened. And that was how you got your news. Mm -hmm. And so nobody... Uh, there was no sort of, oh, well, I want to send, they sent an all-staff email. Well, I want to send one now. So that was the the, the first thing was to just to say, look, we can't be at war uh, with our users. Mm -hmm. You know, it's undesirable, but also it's just hugely counterproductive. And we if we did that, we wouldn't win. I, I, I'm sure many people are going over to ticketing systems now, but this was in uh, 1999. Yeah, it's interesting because the ticketing systems, at least the ones that I've worked with, they didn't work quite like that, right? Often you would just send your ticket off into the void yeah, and then nothing happens. And, and sometimes you're not even sure if, did I do it right? Yeah. 
we based it around um, the D, the idea, like we knew it's in a pack with DHL, you get a tracking number or someone sends you a package and they say, you're receiving a package. It's quite fun. And you can click on it. It says, okay, it's at, you know, Cincinnati airport. And then you can say, okay, it's in customs in Dublin and you can watch this thing happening. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't really care whether it's in Dublin or Cincinnati, but it gives you a feeling that, you know, things are progressing towards a goal. It also reminds me, I don't know if this is commonplace overseas, but we have a phenomenon here in the U.S. We sometimes talk about, about you tell your IT problem to a teddy bear. <laughs> so you go into, you walk into the IT, because this has happened to all of us, right? We, yeah. we start to explain, okay, we clicked on this thing and then this thing happened and then we clicked on that and then it's like, oh, wait. Oh, I just figured out what I did. And so yeah. the IT departments, the theory was that they would put up a teddy bear inside the door of their department. And so people that had problems could walk in, start to tell their story to the teddy bear. And then, you know, a certain percentage of the times they'd just turn on their heel and walk, walk back out because they just solved their own problem. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, this is why also when you call a company and they say, have you looked at our website? Because 80% of the people phoning don't even know they can look it up on the website. And you obviously want to minimize the amount of time that people are doing something expensive, like holding a one-to-one conversation. But that's also expensive for the caller. Uh, you know, right. and, and, and in effect, you, I mean, one of the things you've, I think we've noticed in society today is young people don't phone each other up, mm-hmm. at least not without an appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because they've worked out that if I phone you up, that's both of us tied to the phone for however long the call takes. And, you know, it's it may not be convenient at that point to do that. Or, you know, so sometimes you call the IT people and you'd think it was a two minute problem. They go, OK, well, this is going to take about 20 minutes to solve. And you're going to go, oh, well, I was actually I was just on the way out the door. I mm-hmm. thought it would be simple. Mm-hmm. So right. anything you can do to reduce the amount of time that two people are forced to interact with each other for an unknown amount of time uh, is, is generally speaking a good thing. And I mean, you're, you see this in the way in which a lot of organizations now are just re- running the whole company on Slack and people don't have phones on their desk. Right. It's a, if one person is tied up while they're not working productively, if they're just waiting for the other person yeah. to, to be productive. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, dichotomy. I hadn't thought about that. It reminds me of, you know, the, the, the new era that we're in now. So my dad doesn't have a cell phone and he also doesn't have an answering machine. Mm. And, and every time I call him and there's no answer, I can't help but have this flash of like, What? What? Yeah. I, I'm going to have to just call back later. What? <laughs> okay. Yeah. How can this happen in this day and age? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I abandoned voicemail very early because uh, I would put it on when I went on vacation. I'd come back, and 99.9% of the problems had been fixed. Uh huh. You know, or had gone away, or were no longer urgent. Um, and I. I, I don't know if people still use voicemail very much, but unless it's, you know, the doctors saying, you know, come in for your test results or something, there are lots of things wrong with the modern uh, kind of overemphasis, I think, on written uh, communication because a lot of people never grew up learning how to communicate in writing. But in a business environment, providing people do it with respect, it's generally, you know, all other things being equal, it's it's easier to write than it is to than it is to phone up and, and say something to someone and have them misinterpret. 
Yeah, there's some efficiency to it. I mean, we lose the human touch and and that has drawbacks, but it is definitely as efficient. And it makes people think, right? When you have to put what happened down in words, then we're often more careful yeah. to really explain and, and yeah. think through what, what happened. And it, it takes a minute to fill out the ticket. And sometimes in that minute, the system comes back. You know, they, they, they pick it up and they go three, 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 three. Hello, my computer is, oh, it's up. You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, so everyone's wasted their time with that. So that was the, I think probably the first thing I did where, you know, 10 years later, I thought I was doing psychology. Another, another 10 years further on, I don't think I was doing psychology, but it felt like I was doing psychological. And people would say, oh, that's quite nice. And, you know, they, because my, I wasn't head of IT. My boss was the head of IT. But in, it was in this kind of organization where my boss wanted to do strategic things. But the senior managers, if anything went wrong with their computer, would phone him because they thought mm. that phoning him would get stuff fixed faster than it would for the underlings. And, and so we wanted to build a system whereby the people who phoned my boss directly got less good service than the people, <laughs> uh, not by giving the other people word, but by giving them worse service, but whereby the, the only way to get good service was to make the cook. And, and, and so I had to produce a system so that my boss, when he said, look, yeah, Bill or whoever the director was calling him, please call, you know, use the form. You really will get help quicker than if you stand here on the phone with me for the next half an hour arguing about why you think you should have premium service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once we, once we got to that point, we, because our service was relatively efficient, people would want to use it and wouldn't have to build you know, workarounds and have the sort of unwritten set of, you know, the, the, the unlisted number of the IT guy who could actually fix your problem. Right, exactly. No, you have to get the incentives in the right place for sure. Yeah. yeah. So another one that you had here that that definitely raised my eyebrows was, uh, although I, I mean, I would love for you to convince me that this that this is possible, and that was to encourage the users to customize their computer, and you know, I I hope that you are able to convince us that this is the way to go because the users love that, right? They okay. love being so, able to. Yeah. So tell us. What happened was we actually we had some monitors. So back in the days when things had a twelve month warranty and, we, and you, your computer lasted three or four years, and we had a bunch of monitors that uh, broke after eighteen months or so due to a systematic problem. And so we 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 bought replacements. The the company that had sold us the old ones gave us a deal because they felt a bit bad about it. And so when the computers came to be replaced, we didn't want to throw these monitors away. They were quite recent. And so we bought a few uh, computers without monitors and just let people keep their monitor and we put a new computer under the desk. So we would buy these big desk side boxes. Uh, we'd buy the biggest box we could because the bigger the box, uh, the slower the fan turns and the less noise it makes. Hmm. And we started to, we, we would take computers back and, and people would have bought a special keyboard for some use or whatever. Or, and we started to acquire quite a collection of keyboards and monitors and mice. And we just let people, we just sort of said, People would come over and they'd say, well, I, I like that mouse. And we said, well, would you like it in place of your current one? And they said, well, yeah. So because you know, every computer has one mouse and it plugs in a USB port. So it doesn't matter which mouse you've got. And this just became more and more popular and snowballed. And so when I said we allow people to customize their computer, what I meant was you could choose everything about your computer apart from the box under the desk, which they didn't care about. They're running Microsoft Office. It just needs to boot up Windows and, uh, and run. But everything that was on the desk, they could choose out of the collection of stuff that we had, which initially was used stuff, but after a while we started buying new stuff. And we got an incredible number of benefits out of this. First of all, people came to see us to choose their equipment, 
when they didn't have a problem. So they would go along to the IT department and somebody friendly would help them choose the right mouse for them. And so people had a relationship with the IT department that wasn't phoning up or filling in a ticket and going, help, help, you know, I'm drowning, my computer isn't working. Mm-hmm. That was the, the one of the, uh, but for example, uh, we, we went from a few, uh, a couple of dozen cases a year of people going to the doctor and saying, oh, you know, my, I'm getting strains from using my, we went to zero, zero cases. Oh, really? Uh, oh. Because most of these things were not necessarily huge problems. They just needed to kind of hold their mouse differently. Or some people got, a, um, you know, a trackball where you move the ball rather than the mouse. Yeah. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. So some people... Some people just came in and tried them and were natural. Some people had them at home. So people, this is the time when people were getting computers at home. They would have those, um, Microsoft used to call them the natural keyboard. Do you remember those keyboard had a big bump in the middle and split yes. in half? Yes. And, and you know, I only thought they were natural if you had like two broken elbows or something. <laughs> That was um, my feeling, but the yeah, people but swear people, by then. <laughs> but people who want, and, and so we would get those because you know, everyone's got one keyboard and these things barely cost any more mm-hmm. and people were happy. So uh, most people would have a, a, a unique combination of monitor, keyboard and mouse. Um, if you remember when LCD monitors became affordable, around about 2001, 2002, it became the default for a new computer would typically ship with a 13, 14 inch LCD screen. And so what happened in many companies was, let's say you're a regular company, you change your computers every four years. So in that year, one quarter of people got a new computer with a beautiful, shiny, flat screen. And the other three quarters all started imagining that they had eye problems Mm. because they wanted one. They wanted one, sure. So, okay, what we did was we just bought a few LCD monitors, put them in the, we called it the boutique, the computer boutique. Yeah, it's the go shopping. Uh, and well, and we, and it was just, it was all word of mouth and people would come over. It was funny. The first people in the organization to get themselves LCD monitors were the people in the mail room because they had a bit of time on their hands. Mm-hmm. And the last people to get the whizzy LCD monitors were the senior managers because they wouldn't be bothered to take the time and they'd send their assistant over and the assistant would say, oh, you know, Mr. or Ms. Smith wants a, you know, a nice big flat monitor. We'd say, fine. Uh, do they want the, do they want the one with this resolution or that resolution? Just send their eyes over and, you know, we'll fit them for you. And they would laugh, choose something for themselves, go back to the office and say to the director, look, you know, you're going to have to go and look at it yourself because the big one isn't necessarily the one you want. Uh, with LCD screens, for example, typically if you add, if the screen is 10% bigger, there are 20% more pixels on the width. And so the, the writing is actually smaller. Right. So uh, these sort of things, people would come over and go, I want the big monitor. And we'd say, are you sure? And they'd look at them and go, oh, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that would save us money. Then, yeah. they would, then they would keep their equipment for ages because it was like theirs and they really liked it and they weren't sure if a new one would be any better. So they would mm-hmm. keep it longer than uh, we would normally have, you know, the normal situation where you know, it's new computer time and there's a, someone wheeling a, a trolley down a corridor with a, you know, pencil behind their ear, checking off, right, your, your, here's your new computer. Oh, you know, you've had, you've had them bring you your new computer, right? And, you know, for the next week, it's like, oh, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, this doesn't work. Yeah, that's the, it really turns that whole dynamic around, which is yeah. what I, I like about it. Is, and it often is those, 
small things like that, that, that make people kind of disengage from their job, right? I'm just a number, I'm just a robot. I get thrown any old thing. Whereas this idea of, yeah, you know, you you get to go shopping at IT and it's like what you choose. It's just a different um, approach to it, which, which I really like. For example, we would have, um, you, I don't, you see those little, you see those, you know, humorous videos and the guy gets so upset with his computer, he throws it out of the window, you know, and in our case, if the network went down for half an hour, it was much more kind of babies poorly today. And people really had this kind of sense of ownership. So we, we didn't have coffee and keyboards, you know, which people would just take more care. Uh-huh. We also started saving money because we would buy we let it be known to the local suppliers that we would buy if they had a cancel order for 20 slightly unusual screens, they would sell it to us for, you know, a good price because they had to get rid of it. And we would find someone who wanted those slightly unusual screens. We had people who wanted to work in portrait rather than landscape. And we got a canceled order of some rotating screens that you could turn through 90 degree. Uh, So those kind of things, it it, it just made it was it was fun. And it would be fun to go into somebody's office if you had to go and fix a problem and see what they got. And in fact, if they had a trackball and a natural keyboard, I couldn't I could barely work on it. Yeah, that see, that's what that's why I was so surprised because I think it's really great for the users, but I know my IT guys would have been like, oh no, what a terrible idea, you know, because they just want things to be very generic and mm. routine. And I mean, I guess if you have IT people that think it's a, you know, it's fun to work on different things, that's one thing. But I think a lot of the guys that I worked with would would push back because they didn't want potentially to be confronted with something that they didn't understand well it was not a question it's not really don't understand i mean it's a mouse it's a trackball these are it people we're not we're not getting people to you know configure their software in 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 mandarin or something but uh, although we did we had about we had about 20 different keyboard layouts because we had people from various countries and some people liked a german or a italian keyboard that mm-hmm. wasn't a problem and yes, there is that cost. The the one or two of the more routine aspects of your job become a little harder, but not everything about your job, you know, job satisfaction is how easy is the routine stuff to do. And I would it actually, hope not, right? I would know, hope cre- not. Yeah, it creates points of conversation when you go in and you say to somebody and you see somebody who's, you know, got a problem. Maybe they're struggling to use Microsoft Word and you want to show, but if they can whiz around on the on the trackball, you can go, wow, you know, how do you do that? And they go, well, I've just got the coordination for that. And so, you know, again, it's it's I think we talked about this in a previous, it's real diversity. Uh-huh. Real diversity of, you know, and that you can talk about, that you can make a conversation out of. And uh, that actually kind of increases the general humanity of, 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 of an office environment. And I think that's uh, it's an underestimated part because we do tend to think of things in terms of, okay, cost reduction and standardization. Um, and we're all different. We all have a different relationship to that. And I, adding a little bit of humanity to it, to it doesn't really hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was reminded as I was looking at this, I was reminded of a scene in the TV show Suits in which this very attractive secretary points out to her boss that every time there's a software upgrade, 
the IT guy just pushes it out to everybody else. Mm. But for her, he comes to her desk to, yeah, do, yeah, it yeah. At her, <laughs> to do it at her desk. So yeah, what what uh, what conclusions do you draw from that? Well, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned here about for the software upgrades, mm. letting the user choose when to do it. Well, yes. Yeah, so uh, if you um, normally... Well, what would happen before you know we would do a windows upgrade and it would for three months the entire it department is on some kind of war footing as you go through in waves and this department and what this breaks and this isn't properly tested and people discover this and this little quirky bug and the, shall we stop everything and so what we did on a couple of occasions having established that the file formats were compatible. And I think that's the most important thing. So, okay, does the old desktop software and the new desktop software, can people work, you know, can people go back? And usually they can because Microsoft makes their stuff reasonably backward compatible. Uh, but instead of saying, right, you know, next week, this entire department of 100 people will upgrade to the new version of Windows, uh, we knew that you know, 10% of people would go, great, I've, got, I've already got this version. Why has it taken you 18 months to get this version? But the rest of them were kind of reluctant through to, frankly, scared. Mm -hmm. So what we did, we would just announce, uh, would you like the new version of Windows? And so 10% of people would call us fairly immediately, and we'd schedule them in. And we'd just come around. And what we did was we took away your old computer and brought you a new one with the new system on it. And, and we showed you how to save your stuff so that you could restore it. That was for the more advanced people. And then what happened was the people who were who thought, okay, well, we probably should upgrade. And my, my desk neighbor here, okay, he's a bit of a computer fan. He seems to be getting on okay. I'll do it. And then the person next to them who was a bit more reluctant again would say, well, those two managed it. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And so it would take the same amount of elapsed time to do the project but everybody was doing it when they were psychologically ready for it, as opposed to, you know, everyone in the department. And then, you know, everyone has to put up with their colleagues going, oh, I don't understand this, don't understand this. Uh, and during that time, people could come for training. We show them what was going to happen. And we got we would usually get 90 percent of people would volunteer and there would just be the last 10 percent that we had to go along and say, look, I'm terribly sorry. You know, we have to in the next three to six months replace your software when's a convenient time and we would kind of force them to do that but otherwise people would basically book an appointment to have their new software and again because they'd said they wanted it uh first of all i won't say they couldn't complain but you know they had some ownership in the process but also the people who were most eager to get it were the people who were least upset if there was a little bit of a glitch so, you know, maybe the new, the new software, maybe the manual feed didn't work on the printer for the first week. And, and they would go, oh, that's fine. I can, I'm doing great here. I can connect my camera now. I don't really care about the manual feed on the printer. The kind of people who would have said, oh, you know, we've got this new software. I can't do the manual feed on the printer. We have to, you know, and sometimes these were quite powerful people, you know, right. they kind of phone up and get the Safe. whole thing brought to a halt. Right. Well, it's a catastrophe. The, right. Well, that's right. But by the time it got round to them, we'd already discovered and fixed the problem. So the people who were more likely to complain didn't get their new software until we got most of the bugs out. Well, what's, what's really funny to me is how much of this is psychological. And I, I hadn't thought of that when I looked at your uh, notes mm. at, at the beginning, but I've done enough software implementations now. to that is exactly the problem, right? You, you get a current going in the organization of 
oh, this new software is terrible. It doesn't yeah, yeah, work. Yeah. And it just spreads like the flu, you know, and yeah. suddenly you're you're really up against this wave of pushback about yeah. it's like, wait, stop, <laughs> stop. Yeah. And stop people later. some people like, you know, two months later, it's oh, you know, I'm sure this printer jams more since we got the new version of the software. Mm -hmm. you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, the paper runs out. I'm mean, just incredible stuff. But you know, people will sit and ruminate on their lives at work generally, and their computer is going to be a pretty big part of that. Mm -hmm. One of the nicest things we had, we moved um, a whole bunch of people into a new building a good month and a half before the building was really ready, and the move was not well done. But and, and this is one of the downsides of the boutique approach. You can't just move someone to a new office and say, here's your new computer. They have to take everything with them, mm -hmm. you know, including their mouse mat with their own kind of personal, you know, <laughs> dirt on it. Um, <laughs> a pic picture of a kitten. Or... Oh, mouse mats, by the way, are hugely important. Um, <laughs> we, we, went, <laughs> we, went, we went from 20 calls a month about mice to zero once we started buying the right mouse mat, which is a third of an inch thick uh, foam with a cloth cover. Because most mouse mats are promotional and they have a nice layer of plastic on them to keep the design looking good. And all of the sweat and crud off your hands comes off that and accumulates, I, well, in the old days, in the ball mm -hmm. of the mouse. Now, even now with an optical mouse, it accumulates around the Teflon feet. If you go into, um, I'm sure your, your mouse is spotless, Jennifer, but if you... <laughs> I'm just looking at my mouse, actually. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you go into a, like a hotel and you look at the front desk and, the, and the, mat, the mouse will be sitting on a kind of big mat, big plastic mat, and you turn, just turn the, turn the thing on and you'll see this huge collection of, of lint and crud and gunk. And, and it actually means the mouse jumps. And you'll see, you'll see the people, you know, you've seen people and they go, they make about four moves with the mouse to get it where they want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that's partly because of the crud and partly because a smooth Teflon mouse foot on a smooth mouse mat will stick. Hmm. You, so you've got to have a cloth. Anyway, so we, you know, again, silly things like that. We were spending $5 on a mouse mat. Uh-huh. You know, $5 on a mouse mat. Yeah, but that's calls we're not getting. So. Right. The, yeah, so one of the nice things, we, we did this building move and people were turning up, the heating didn't work, the furniture hadn't been delivered, but they were saying, at least you know, I'm here and I've got my exact computer set up. Mm -hmm. It feels like home. It feels like home, at least for the sort of field of your field of vision in front of you. Yeah, the right keyboard with your familiar fingerprint patterns on it. And is it psychology or is it what we would call folk psychology? I don't, I, I'm sure, I, I don't know. From what I've learned of psychology, psychologists overthink everything. It just seems to me kind of mom and pop psychology. Yeah, common sense, right. But yeah, but we're not very good at common sense in the workplace world because we like to imagine that there's some rational way of going about things when really what we need to do is just admit that people are, have their own little irrationalities and have their own little, you know, their little habits and their little mammalian things. You know, we are kind of mammals and we like our little, you know, dogs have their favorite pets and chew toys and whatever. And people have little aspects of that as well. For but sure. We, we don't like to admit that because we're meant to be you know, executives and, you know, blazing a trail to the future or something and i i <laughs> i tend to things tend to work well when you just kind of appeal to 
people as humans. Yeah, so, that, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the word that came to mind for me. And I find that I'm using that word more and more these days is we are human, mm. and, you know, for, for the brilliance of it and the extraordinary uh, aspects of it, but also, you know, we're just human too. So yep. yeah, blazing a path to the future. That's funny. So those, yeah, that was just the sort of couple, as I say, the couple of ideas I had, and you thought it would be interesting to talk about that. And uh, I, I mentioned this to people a lot and they go, yeah, that sounds really great, but it would never work with us. And the answer is, you know, it would, not everyone can implement all of these, but as a way of thinking, as a way of thinking of how can we as an IT department relate to the rest of the organization. Um, and yet imagine what it would be like if you were getting this crap off the IT department the whole time. How would you feel? Which is difficult because you are, you know, you're the IT guy. You think the computer is cool or whatever. But if you could if you were a fly on the wall when the users are having a moan about IT. And if you really listened and said, could we actually do things better to, to, to meet with some of these things? And well, we did it. It worked. I don't work there anymore, but it worked. People were happy. We had an annual satisfaction survey and we would have 92, 93% of in the top two categories, satisfied, very satisfied. That's amazing. You know, how satisfied are you with your computer? You know, your computer and your phone, we did the phones as well on your desk. And we, we would get 92 to 93% because people liked the stuff they had and had confidence, you know, that, that if something went wrong, that it would get fixed. And another little bonus, and this is uh, was the boutique kind of functioned like a hairdresser. Uh, people would come over and sit there and play with the kit and look at the difference and they would talk to us mm -hmm. and we learned so much about what was going on in the organization yeah. <laughs> by having people in, you know, we, we, we did, we might as well have given them uh, a margarita yeah, <laughs> and, right. and, and let them talk to us. They would come in and we learned so much about what was going on because, you know, people let down their guard while we were being nice to them and helping them improve their computer. Well, what I love about it is it, it, the two sides of it, right? That the users are happier, but also that the IT people are happier. Oh, yeah. And, and recognizing that in a lot of organizations, as you say, those two sides are often at war and it's mm. the source of such friction in people's jobs. So I, I just love the idea of, uh, benefiting both sides and and you know my old refrain about making our workplaces happier the other thing was if we ever did have to do something fairly sort of substantial for security reasons uh, it got taken seriously because we weren't constantly telling people no and i my my own kids said to this about my my wife and my parenting style we we we, we basically didn't say no a whole lot but if we actually went stop no they would go whoa must be serious. Mm -hmm. And I think any parent will recognize that, you know, you can spend your whole life just you know, yelling at your kids and after a while they just discount it. But a lot of IT departments are doing that constantly, you know, bombarding people with messages. And when you've had your 48th message since June about some security issue, you're not reading them. Mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're, they're, they're just you're just filing them under noise. And so when you know, you're kind of permanently crying wolf a little bit. Yeah. It's like having the fire alarm go off, you know, every yeah. week. It, it, it means yeah. nothing after a while. Right. Yeah. 
Well, Nick, thank you so much again for coming on the show. And this was really interesting. I hope that some of the IT people out there can use this very uh, non, non-traditional advice, but, but it you know, gives us some new ideas about how to think about IT. Well, the nice thing for me is we did it and it worked. There are, I can imagine writing a book where somebody says, why don't people do this? And you know, I would sit there going, well, will that work? I remember when I, when I mentioned the idea of the boutique of people choosing their own, my boss said, I don't think that'll work. But that was what I said about some other good idea that you had, Nick. So you know, let's mm-hmm. try it. And uh, it was really one of the best things we ever did. And uh, because also it kind of creates, I remember seeing about 10 years ago, there was some major discussion at the United Nations, but everybody was talking about soccer. The World Cup was on and like Iran were playing, I don't know, the USA or someone. And it turned out that all the diplomats would just sort of stop being uh, passive aggressive transmitters of, of, of coded messages from their government and would sit around and watch the football and, you know, point and yell and shout. And everyone has the kind of common humanity of putting a, you know, putting a mouse in their hand and typing on a keyboard and going, oh, the damn computer doesn't work today. You know, that's, that's a human universal now. Yeah. Well, as I say, very, very interesting. And thanks again for coming on the show. Okay. Thank you. That's really it, everybody. Our final episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. It represents 201 episodes over exactly two years, and it has been so much fun and really eye-opening and educational. I'm Jennifer Crittenden, and I've served as the host of the show. You can find out more about me and the show at discreetguide.com. That's D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E dot com. I would like to thank our many guests, just about a hundred of them, can you believe that, who shared their expertise and experience, as well as some laughs and sometimes even a few tears. I also want to thank especially our listeners for your attention and your time. I really appreciate it. You are the reason we do this. We'll be launching our new show in 2021, and I'll make an announcement on New Year's Eve uh, with its name. Da-na-na-na, is that a drum roll I hear? Till then, thank you, stay well, take care of each other, and we'll talk soon.